Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show focused exclusively on Magic the Gathering Arena. I'm one of your hosts, Arjuna. I am joined today not by regular co-host Kovac Goblu. He is taking the weekend off in preparation for a tournament. But as it happens, I'm joined by an esteemed guest of the show and fellow podcaster and uh, someone that I've worked with before, I actually uh, did an episode on, on his show, which we'll definitely talk about soon. Um, but yes, welcoming Draft and Drafts, Corey. How are you doing today, my friend? I, I'm doing great. I, I feel flattered because I, I think this is the first time someone's ever given me the title of esteemed before. I, I'm <laughs> blushing like a princess, Arjuna. I can't even... Well, it's a it's a time honored tradition of this podcast. We in in true WWE form, we hype up all of our guests, and you know we have special people on this show. Only the finest Magic content creators. So yes, I'm I'm thrilled to have you here with us today. And uh, there's a reason I called upon Corey to help me with this episode, and it is because today we are going to talk exclusively about Kaladesh Remastered Limited. Now. This is one of my absolute all-time favorite draft sets. It might be my favorite actual draft experience outside of Mystery Booster or some of these kind of customized draft sets that they've come out with. But as far as just like a, you know, a regular standard set that you open in packs, uh, this was my favorite probably. And Corey, I think, also really enjoyed this set, didn't you? Oh, most uh, assuredly. For people that have kind of sewn themselves into becoming a lifetime limited player who basically only looks at uh, the commons and uncommons as spoilers come out. Like, <laughs> I love the mythics, I love the rares, but I get more excited by uncommon build-arounds. And I think for people that have become enfranchised limited players like myself uh, and clearly like a lot of other people out there as the limited community grows... Uh, so much ever since I really started to look towards a limited world, uh, Kaladesh has really stood the test of time into becoming one of the most revered and one of the most fun limited draftable sealed environments that I think Wizards has ever come out with. Yeah, I agree. I think part of that, which we'll get into later, is just that they came to this with invention in mind. They specifically wanted to make a set that was full of like fun, interesting build arounds and like crazy interactions and allowing you to, you know, just generate these wild board states that you wouldn't ordinarily see in a game of magic. And I think they really succeeded in that. So part of what we are going to look at today is did they manage to preserve that? Because what we have here with Kaladesh Remastered, of course, is that we actually have two sets jammed into one. They took the original Kaladesh set and then they took the expansion Aether Revolt. This was back in the Boomer days when they would actually release sets in like two or three set blocks, right? So you had a base set and then you had these expansion sets that you would add on in the draft. Um, but they've done away with that now. And so what we have is basically two sets smashed together. So we're going to talk about the, the set with an eye to... What did we lose and, and what did we keep? So really excited to jump into all of that. But first, I just wanted to kind of, you know, give an introduction to Corey. So Corey, I'd love to hear, first of all, you run your own awesome podcast. So tell our listeners just briefly about what it is that you're up to over there. 
So I am the host of a podcast uh, through the Believe Podcast Network called Draft and Draft. It takes a look at the lighter side of Limited while also infusing some fictional storytelling elements uh, alongside having some kind of fun engagements. We do uh, a regular weekly episode called Friday Night Podcast uh, for people that are on the go like myself and can't necessarily have you know the seconds and, and hours to watch videos on demand. Maybe you are driving from place to place. Maybe you're working at a desk. It is an audio form of kind of a stream, but it's got that same feel as a Friday Night Magic, but instead infused in podcast form and what I like to call uh, FNP. Uh, the other side of our show is we do that uh, serialized storytelling where we bring on special guests. We take a look at preview seasons. We bring some of the cards into the worlds themselves. Myself and my bear tender Borak live in the Unlucky Lounge, which is the location of our of our fun storytelling area where we look at some interesting ways of framing cards in different places. Like we've put multiple cards inside of a dating show throughout the courses of different spoiler seasons. Uh, Black Bloom Rogue, our last one from Zendikar Rising, had a, let's say, real fun time on the podcast. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, uh, yeah, I I had the fortune of appearing in the Unlucky Lounge and getting served up by the bear tender. So uh, was was a good time. I'll include the link to that episode in the show notes if you want to listen to the episode that I guested there. And so, Corey, um, just so our listeners get to know you a little better, give us like a brief overview of your history with magic and how you came to actually become a content creator. Of course. So when I was growing up, my family moved around a lot. Uh, I, I, been, I went through a number of divorces inside of my family, and we would move from you know smaller to smaller city. And that being true, especially when you go through high school uh, in a Midwestern town uh, such as myself in multiple different towns in Wisconsin, it, you can start to lose a sense of that community. I played a lot of sports, uh, and then as I started to move from place to place, that community wasn't able to be as... Uh, retained since I'd go from like one school district to another. But I started to uh, explore the world of, you know, kind of niche cultures. And I ended up walking into a game store one day looking for Pokemon cards because, you know, when you're growing up my age in the 90s, you know Pokemon, you try to buy as much of that content as you can because, you know, you got to catch them all. But going into the store itself, I found a lot of people who gravitated towards this game of Magic the Gathering. And that sense of being able to go into a new space, when you create a new life for yourself in a new town, you can find community, you can find your new friends, your new people through the LGS experience. That's what Magic the Gathering means most to me. So ever since 2003, I've been playing, started with Scourge, really got deeper into Limited around the original Ravnica set, and I've been pretty consistently playing uh, a lot of high-level Limited play alongside, you know, local communities. When you, you know, get those people who are also just rabid Limited players, you find a basement, you find a large table, you buy boxes, and you just draft them every week as you possibly can. And I've uh, had a chance to kind of translate my theater degree and my time working on cruise ships. And now that, you know, 2020 hit us all in a pretty hard way, I decided to try and take the creativity and the energy that I had while working shows on a cruise ship. And I started making my own content. And that's where the concept of draft and draft came from. The combination of trying to be creative, stay in that creative space alongside promoting the communities that Magic the Gathering has framed my life in. 
That's really cool to hear. I actually didn't know that about you. You know, regular co-host of the show, Kovac Go Blue, also studied theater in college, among other things. I think that's kind of a thread. I, I did not take my theater time that far, but I was, you know, definitely in some plays when I was in middle school and stuff. So I think that there's a lot of us actually in the community. And, you know, I know in the D&D community, of course, as well, nerds who enjoy theatricality. I know, you know, a lot of people in the cosplay space are also very into that. So uh, that's just a, a cool thread to observe among among magic players for sure um and definitely something that you bring to your work when was it exactly that you discovered that limited was your true calling it was <laughs> i kind of remember this uh vividly is when i walked into uh the university of minnesota's common dining area it was like uh, after i had a nighttime class i went to go pick up some food real quick and i noticed uh two tables bunched together with people playing Magic the Gathering. Now, I started in Scourge, and then we went to Mirrodin and Kamigawa, and that wasn't, let's say, a time that was very welcoming to new players, so I was kind of on a Magic break, but then I saw people gathered around uh, drafting the Ravnica set, the, the original Ravnica City of Guilds, and I kind of just, you know, birded them for a while. They welcomed me into the community, and then I started to acquire my own packs so I could jump in and be part of an eight-person draft. Uh, at that point, I started to create friends in the local Minnesota community. That group started to slowly increase my sphere to other people in the Wisconsin community, and some of my best friends uh, I still have from that original connection of just randomly trying to get a Chick-fil-A sandwich in the commons of the <laughs> University of Minnesota and finding people playing Ravnica. Very cool. Very cool. It's just funny because I find that most people have like a moment in time when they were like, whoa, this limited thing is next level, you know? So, you know, you yeah. know what it is for me mm. that I love about limited is that there is a level of adaptation. It's like jazz to me. When you're drafting a deck and you you have to read the signals, you have to sometimes adapt when things aren't going your way, particularly in that moment of drafting. Because when you're in gameplay, certainly every card changes and changes your sequencing and your choice and your evaluation. But that act of trying to get into other people's heads that you're sitting with at that table of eight, that's just, uh, I think that kind of connects to that improvisation feel of theater and decks being a form of self-expression and how you build decks and maybe how you take a, a 14th pick and somehow find a way to make it part of your 40 and make it work in a unique way. That's still really cool and explorative space that kind of echoes to my theater time. Yeah, I, I love that comparison to jazz. I think that's really spot on. And uh, yeah, I think some of my finer moments in Magic that I look back to are like decks where I made it work, you know? Um, you, you know, you look at a deck and you think, wow, I just, I never would have gone into a draft thinking I was going to make this kind of deck, but somehow I pulled it off and I actually won some some games and some matches with it. So yeah, that's that's really awesome. All right, well, we have two limited lovers here today to discuss the world of Kaladesh Remastered. So from the big picture, let's examine the themes in this set. Now, they staked it out early when they were revealing this set by telling us that this was an artifact heavy set. So that was one of the first themes that they wanted to really go into heavily. And they really did support it. Um, there, in addition to there being a lot of artifacts in the set, there are also a lot of creatures that uh, either create or bring with them artifacts. So that's the first thing to note right off the bat. Artifact synergies are very, very important to a lot of the archetypes that are in this set. So one of the first mechanics which supports the artifact theme 
is called Fabricate. Now, Fabricate is it's a fairly simple mechanic and you see it on creatures and you see a number next to it. So uh, if a creature has Fabricate 1, you get to make a choice. When the creature comes in, you can either give that creature a plus one plus one counter or you can make a 1-1 one, one servo artifact creature token. Now, if you see more than one on the Fabricate, then you get to decide whether you get two tokens or two servos. You don't get to do one of each in that case. You have to commit to either servos or counters. And then it just goes up from there. I think the highest Fabricate creature is Fabricate 3, and that's on a rare, so you don't see that very often. Uh, but Fabricate 1 and 2 are fairly common on the, the creatures in this set. But that's, that's not all. That's just the beginning of the mechanics. This set and this block also introduced energy. Um, which was a new resource which we had never seen. Do you want to just like talk a little bit about energy for us, Corey? Yeah, uh, energy, I think, is one of the reasons why this set holds up so well over time. These uh, There's different like permanents uh, and sometimes spells that grant you energy counters. You as the player gain these energy counters and think of them kind of like a resource that you can spend on different effects. Uh, take, for example, one of the more iconic sorceries that came out of the set and ended up getting banned, uh, Attune with Aether. Uh, one green, you search your library for a basic land, and then you gain two energy. Now you're, you're gaining all this energy, you're kind of storing it up, and then eventually you find some kind of payoff to spend into it. And for people that have really dug into this format, you learn that the decision tree of choices of oh, am I going to use this energy on this permanent or this effect, planning ahead for what's in your deck, led to a lot of interesting choices uh, between do I play this creature just to get the energy? Do I use the attack trigger off of, say, a, a thriving rhino? Am I saving it up for a whirler virtuoso? Uh, yeah, it, it's a really exciting mechanic because it's kind of the first, from what I recall, Arjuna, maybe you can help me out with this, is where we kind of went with a, a Z mechanic. So you have like your X enablers, your Y payoffs, but then there's an outside resource management in mm. like a, a Z factor. Yeah. This kind of is very similar to me, say like food in Throne of Eldraine, uh, the different party spread in Zenikar Rising. It's certainly like they're all payoffs, but you want to make sure you've got the resources in your deck to really best utilize your uh, one to two, your X to Y payoffs that are naturally coming through in the cards that you play. No, that's that's a really excellent choice. Yeah, it, you're right. It does. It means that not only are you picking enablers and payoffs, but you're kind of keeping an eye on this this running ticker that's going on through the game. And uh, I have to say, it really is um, skill testing, like you were pointing out. Just, you know, you're managing your life total, your mana each turn, your number of cards in hand, and now you're actually managing your energy counter as well. So, um, yeah, I think it's a, real, it's a real payoff, especially for those advanced draft players who, you know, enjoy the extra complexity. It's certainly complicated. And yeah. if people out there who are listening have yet to dig into energy. One of the big lesson takeaways that I got from engaging with the energy resource is that you want to plan for not just what's in your hands, you want to plan for what is your game plan? What is going to be your route to victory? And if you're not utilizing that that Z resource, that energy here in Kaladesh, and playing it towards either your game plan or how you can adapt to what your opponent's doing, those that's like an extra level of decision-making tree that we just didn't really have in such a unique way in a limited format in quite some time. 
I think to me, like the last time that really resonated before Kaladesh was, say, Scars of Mirrodin and trying to infect and poison counter. Like that was kind of like a similar feel to me. But here, you're going to get a lot of decision tree making, and it's going to give you a further sense of not just building a deck, but building towards a plan for what the game has ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and I can tell you right off the bat, and I think Corey would agree, energy is worth it. So if you're drafting and you feel like, oh, this energy archetype seems to be open, like lean in. It's it's probably not going to disappoint you. It's very, very powerful. I mean, powerful enough to get cards banned in standard. So yeah, really, really strong. Another mechanic in this set, which is also very, very relevant in limited is revolt. Now, I actually think that revolt, you know, we had like definitely one playable constructed card uh, with revolt in the form of fatal push but i actually think in limited it was a very very interesting mechanic and i would say uh very very relevant in limited specifically because limited is so often about creature combat um and there are all of these payoffs that give you a benefit with revolt so what revolt is is basically if a permanent leaves the battlefield under your control on a turn for the rest of that turn, you have Revolt enabled. And so the most common play pattern with Revolt is you'll send your creatures into combat. Uh, you'll hope for your, you're hoping that your opponent will maybe make a trade. And then post-combat, you play your Revolt thing to get whatever the benefit is on the card. So, you know, there are other fancy things you can do. You can sacrifice stuff at instant speed, for example. Um, if you're really fancy, you can figure out a way to maybe blink something, maybe on your opponent's turn, stuff like that to enable revolt. There are some tricky things that you can do there. But like I said, the most common way that you do it in Limited is, is trading off creatures. So right off the bat, um, when you're playing this set, if your opponent is making really aggressive trades... Uh, or offering trades that seem a little bit disadvantageous. Like, hmm, they're attacking their 3-2 into my 2-2. Why would they be doing that? It's probably because they're trying to enable some kind of revolt shenanigan. And again, that just gives you more decision tree for, can I afford to take the damage? Or do I just have to make this trade and live with the fact that they might play a revolt thing afterwards? Definitely another really, really relevant limited mechanic, I would say. You know, the revolt's going to be a, a big kind of question mark on what Kaladesh Remastered looks like, especially because when the first Kaladesh set came out, there wasn't that much in the way of mechanics that were kind of being built into uh, the original set that kind of, to me, really resonated with Revolt. To me, the best version of that is, say, fabricating, making a bunch of servos, and then you tap everything sideways. Maybe you're trying to, like, push some damage or trying to give the sense that you are, and then they just make a chump block, and then you enable some really nice Revolt payoff. Uh, so I'm not quite sure like how it's going to affect this limited format. Uh, Hidden Stockpile might be something that really could give some texture to the Revolt deck and maybe make me want to make choices, even if they look disadvantageous on the board, to pay off for that. But even like cards like Conviction, uh, which look pretty unassuming, can be pretty good when you're getting that Revolt payoff consistently. Yep, definitely, yeah. And so one of the things that you see repeatedly in this set is there are just like all of these kind of micro synergies, these two card combos, these different ways that you can enable all of these mechanics. And so it's really one of the pleasures of playing the set. Am I missing anything? Do we have any other major mechanics in the set that I haven't mentioned yet? Well, this was the introduction to what became kind of an evergreen card type that we consistently see now, uh, vehicles. That's true. Vehicles made their, yeah, they made their first appearance 
here in Kaladesh. Uh, a good example of a vehicle card uh, goes to the original Kaladesh. It's a it, it costs two. It's a card called Sky Skiff. Yeah. Uh, it's a two three flyer for two, but uh, the artifact itself doesn't become a creature for you to attack until you crew it. And this said, uh, all you have to do is crew one. So that means you have to tap a power equal to the crew cost. So let's say you have an extra spare servo lying around. You just tap that. And now you've got the sky skiff. It's a evasion flyer for two. Like a two, three flyer for two is definitely above curve for a two drop. But there does come like a, a cost. But it it's nice because you can say play a summoning sick creature and then still pay that crew cost and get through some extra damage off of these uh, vehicles that seem to go a little bit above curve with a little bit of a cost restriction. Yep, absolutely. And another benefit to vehicles is that they dodge sorcery speed removal unless you block with them. So um, just an additional kind of way to protect some of the better creatures in your deck that way. So yeah, for any of you who haven't played with vehicles yet, they have been in our sets moving forward, but there haven't been very many of them. They haven't tended to be very standard playable, so you may not be familiar with them. One of the most important things to remember is that you do need to crew vehicles before combat if you're going to attacks, and you also need to crew vehicles before blocks are declared after your opponent declares attackers if you want to block with them. So it's a very easy thing to mess up. Everyone does it. When you're playing this set in Limited, you're definitely at some point going to be kicking yourself because you forgot to crew at the key time. So just really, really remember that. Um, the phases before and during combat are very, very important in this set in particular. So There's going to be a lot of button clicks. Yeah. Expect pressing that mouse quite a bit, uh, yeah. all the listeners out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So with all of that preliminary stuff out of the way, Let's actually just like get into the set. So there were definitely delineated color pairs that all were trying to do stuff, but I would really say that some of them didn't end up coming together that well. And what I really want to focus on is the ones that really did stake out an identity and that did like really define the set. So we started talking about energy and I think that's a really good place for us to begin because it's just like very, very strong whole segment of the format. So the energy cards are focused in the team of colors. Now, every color in the set does have energy cards. So you'll find them in black and you'll find them in white, but they're really not a big focus. And there's not a lot of synergy pieces in those colors. So if you want to make like a capital E energy deck, you're probably looking at Teema. Now the good news is that Teema is very, very well supported and splashing is actually very well supported. So it's not unreasonable to think that you could actually just end up in like a regular Teema deck in draft, which is pretty exciting, I would say. One of the cards that really enables this that you were highlighting earlier is a tune with Ether. So this is that common sorcery, lets you search up a land, gives you energy, it's a perfect fixer, it's a perfect energy enabler. One of the cool things that you can do with a card like a Tomb with Aether is especially if you're running enough forests in your deck, you can just cut a land and run on a Tomb with Aether instead. And that's essentially like a free land, free splash, free energy enabler. So that's a really good place to start in these decks. Um, speaking of splashing, there's a, a very good fixing creature in green in this set in the form of Wild Wanderer. This is a 3-2. 
that actually ramps you, puts a tap land onto the battlefield when you play it. That's a, another just like excellent splash enabler to help you do this kind of fun three color or just multiple color stuff. So let's look at some of the payoffs first because the payoffs are like the cards that will really pull you into this archetype. And probably yeah. the, the best one I would say is Whirler Virtuoso. Would you agree with me there? Oh yeah, 100%. Uh... And that's one thing to really note about these energy decks is you can make all the energy in the world, but if you're you're not doing anything with it, then the resource just kind of stays in your energy pool and you don't really get anywhere. Uh, the good news is a lot of the cards that produce energy have a way to spend energy, but Whirler Virtuoso, I think, is, is hands down uh, probably one of the strongest uh, ways to take advantage of producing a lot of energy. Uh, for those of you who have yet to see the glory of this card that, you know, Two copies of it single-handedly took me to day two of a Kaladesh GP. Uh, it's a it's a two three for one blue red. When it enters the battlefield, you get three energy, and then you can pay three energy to make a one one colorless Thopter artifact creature token with flying. Absolutely, it fuels itself. And there's a couple like cards that just work insanely well with Whirler Virtuoso that just rewards you for just doing what you want to do in the set, which is play out to the battlefield as much as you can and get these cross synergies between different card types. Yeah, absolutely. So Whirler Virtuoso, it seems innocuous. It's a 2-3 that makes a 1-1. One, one. You think, all right, yeah, that's, that's actually a pretty good card. But one of the easiest ways to die quickly in Limited is when your opponent has like three or four servos, and you're just like, wow, I'm on a three-turn clock and there's nothing I can do about it. So this card stacks up fast. Like, when someone resolves a Whirler Virtuoso, you have to think either how am I going to kill that or how am I going to kill my opponent in the next few turns because otherwise you're going to get buried in little flyers. So, yeah, super... And Arjuna, I, we might... Sorry, we might be getting a little ahead of ourselves, but have you ever had a chance to go the curve of, like, turn two... Decoction module turn three Whirler Virtuoso. <laughs> I I have actually had that curve. I have never done the infinite combo, but yes, it's a, it's a very, very strong thing to do. So let's talk about the modules actually, because they really are kind of at the heart of what you can do in this set. Decoction module is a great one because it's it's an uncommon build around, which um, I'll read it off and then you'll see why it's so good with this card. Cockton module is a two-cost artifact. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you get one energy. You can also pay for and tap it to return target creature you control to its owner's hand. So um, immediately what you can do is if you make a servo with your Whirler Virtuoso, then it enters the battlefield and you get a free energy. So it basically reduces the cost of your Thopter tokens by one energy each. So they only cost two. You can also, if later in the game, if you're needing a reinfusion of energy to kind of get the ball rolling again, you can return that Whirler Virtuoso to your hand, play it again, you get three more energy. And yeah, that's uh, that's pretty awesome. I mean, this card... Did you ever manage to yeah. get the infinite uh, the infinite Thopters going in Limited? No, I, I never got the infinite Thopters. I, I did get two decoction modules off of a Sahili's Artistry, which allows you to make a copy of an artifact and a creature. That felt pretty gosh darn good. <laughs> nice. Uh, but just to even go a little bit further on decoction module and why I think a card like this just is emblematic to Kaladesh Limited. Obviously, you have your surface level of it produces energy, where your energy payoffs. Oh, you can maybe return one of your cards that produce energy to make more energy, have more of that. But you can also play to some of the other things that are going on. This card works well 
with Revolt. It works well with Fabricate, which is one of the reasons why, almost as a, a heuristic for uh, people out there, if you're deciding whether or not you want to put Pulse on Pulse on counters on a creature or make tokens, dollars to donuts, it's probably better just to make some servo tokens rather than stack up counters, unless you're in, say, like a green-black counters deck. But Decoction Module is just a home run signpost of what this entire set is trying to accomplish and it has so many cool cross synergies and i think that that cross synergy element of a card like this is why kaladesh has become so successful over time yeah absolutely all of the modules are very very powerful um so keep an eye out for them we've got two at uncommon and then one at rare and we'll we'll probably touch on the other ones later but yeah decoction module definitely a must in any energy deck and an early pick in the draft, so definitely keep an eye out for that. So another payoff in the energy deck and a card that can just win the game single-handedly is Long Tusk Cub. This was Oof. another like oh, card oh. that <laughs> he's laughing because he knows he knows the power. <laughs> oh my gosh. This card, this card has caused nightmares on curve for me. <laughs> oh, oh my it's, gosh. it's so nasty, yeah. So this card's it's, it, it's essentially Tarmogoyf in a limited environment if you can get it going. <laughs> Let's read the text of Long Tusk Cub. It is a uh, one and a green for a 2-2 creature. When it deals combat damage to a player, you get two energy, and you can pay two energy to put a plus one, plus one counter on it. So... If you manage to play this on turn two and then connect with it on turn three, you can already pump it up to a 3-3. If you did something fun, like for example, if you are able to play your Atomb with Aether on turn one, you can drop this on turn two and immediately make it a 3-3. And then it just kind of gets out of hand from there. Remember, you can activate the ability at instant speed so you can do it in response to removal. You can do it in the middle of combat. You can get up to all kinds of shenanigans. So it also plays well with plus one, plus one counter synergies, of which there are a lot in the set. So this card is like a, a windmill slam first pick in a draft. Um, if you don't get like a bomb rare in your first pick, then starting with a long tusk cub is like an absolutely great way to start to draft. And long tusk cub is an example of something that we were talking about a little bit earlier. And that is when you're building up your energy count, you don't want to just think about, oh, I want to use it on this particular card. So if you're going like a turn two long tusk cub and say as well in your hand, you have a thriving rhino, which is another big kind of common signpost of of the strength of green in this format interacting with energy. So thriving rhino is a two, three for two and a green. When it ETBs, you get two energy. Then when it attacks, you can pay two energy to put a counter on the Thriving Rhino. If you go Long Tusk Cub into a Thriving Rhino, suddenly you have an access to a 4-4 attacker on turn three. And that just gets out of hand very quickly, and your opponent needs very specific removal to take care of that Long Tusk Cub, or even a number of other kind of energy things that are going on. But anyway, yeah, Long Tusk Cub... Many, many memories of this card landing on turn two. And if it's on the other side of the table, you have like a turn or two to answer it. And then you might just be out of the game. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So those are some of the more aggressive ways that you can run away with the game. Now, there are also like some more card advantageous things that you can do with energy. So for that, let's talk about this. It's it's kind of an easy to miss card, but an extremely powerful one. Shielded Ether Thief. So this is one and a blue for a Vidalcan Rogue. It's a 0-4 and it has flash. Whenever Aether Thief blocks, you get one energy, but you can pay three energy and tap it to draw a card. So 
Energy, as you'll find out, can stack up pretty quickly. It's not uncommon for you to end up with six or even nine energy banked up. And if you can use this Ether Thief to draw like one, two, or even three cards in a game, you just end up burying your opponent in card advantage. Mm, Arjuna, use one of my favorite phrases in Limited, and that's bury your opponents in card advantage. <laughs> one of my favorite things to do, man. That's... Aggressive, get out of here. Let me, draw, let, me, let me draw two cards. I'm happy to do that any day. Indeed, indeed. That's what we're here for. Now let's look at some of the more bread and butter kind of payoffs, because the cards that we've been talking about are all uncommons. But we do have some common payoffs um one of the best ones is ether chaser a red common so this is a one and a red human artificer two one first strikes two one uh first strike for two already a good card and limited when it etbs you get two energy which is great and whenever it attacks you can pay two energy and if you do you make a one one servo artifact creature token so this is kind of like your um it's like your bargain bin well virtuoso as it were <laughs> But this is just a, a very strong common payoff in the energy deck. I mean, this card is just good by itself, by the way. In any red deck, you'll play this. In the energy deck, this is like a, a really, like a 7 or even an 8 out of 10. So pick this card really highly. Another one that I remember being really bonkers at common in blue is Ether Swooper. This is one in a blue Vidalcan Artificer, one to Flyer when it ETBs you get two energy and then it has the same clause as the chaser. Whenever it attacks, you can pay two energy and create a one-one servo. The benefit of the swooper, of course, is that it's a flyer. And so it's, it's fairly common that you can just attack with it, you know, every turn for a while in the game and uh, just make up an army of those servos. So those are two really, really excellent common reasons to be in energy. And the one thing just to note for people uh, engaging with these attack trigger energy cards is that they actually do have that downside of the only window in which you can use that paying energy is when that creature attacks so if you are playing against them recognize that opportunity shouldn't be like after you attack but you know going into the attack step into the main phase it it will like help you out to limit the amount of choices that your opponents can make absolutely yeah absolutely um, I just want to point out another card that ended up being an overperformer in the energy archetypes, and that is called Ether Theorist. This is one in a blue. It's a Vidalcan Rogue. Uh, rogue, unfortunately, not a relevant creature type in this particular set, but notable nonetheless. Not, not quite, not quite. <laughs> um, this is a 1-3, so 1-3 for 2. When it ETBs, you get 3 energy, which is a generous amount, and you can tap it and pay 1 energy to scry 1. So this guy is uh, an overperformer. The scry is relevant. The energy is relevant. Once you've ascertained you're in the energy deck, take these really highly. Cool. Is there anything else that you wanted to point out before we move on from talking about energy? You know, there's a couple other really interesting energy cards that are, are definitely worth noting and high picking, like Harness Lightning, which yep, actually... Yep, one of the best removals in the set. Yeah, and this is another example of a card that actually... And I'm not... 100% because this card was so unique and actually does something unique in, in longer formats too, which is uh, you uh, cast the Harness Lightning, but you don't pay the energy until after the resolution of the Harness Lightning, so you don't have to, to pump your energy into the card and then risk it uh, being interactive interacted negatively. It's upon the resolution of it. So this is uh, one of the best forms of a lightning strike in limited that's kind of ever been around. And especially when you have these cards that produce like three energy and you've got the sliding bar of you don't need to pay at all to get the effect. Those are those 
like signpost things that allow you to then use other energy cards down the line to get uh, even greater effect off of them, including the uh, the Aether Scryer. I'm sorry, the name of that card uh, yeah, the uh, that you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, Aether Theros. Because you're producing three energy and you're only paying one, you can say, you know what? Maybe I, I want to hold off on just getting a Scry one every turn and you know start to dump that more into your Whirler Virtuoso. Absolutely. And, you know, tricky things you can do in this format are things like you can cast Harness Lightning, target something with no intention to actually spend any energy on it because you just want more energy. Mm -hmm. So maybe you just want an extra Thopter to win the game. Could be mid-combat, someone points a burn spell at your long toss cub and you just need a couple more energy to pump it once more and save it. Um, So you can do tricky things like that. Yeah, and if your opponent's like, you you Harness Lightning their creature... And then they're like, well, I really can't lose this creature. And you force them to use a trick like out of turn. And they're like, you know what? I'm not going to spend the energy. Yeah. You can keep that. That's fine. Pretty sweet. Uh, there's there's one more card before I think but we should move on from energy that we I think would behoove us to not mention it. Because it's one of the best two-color signpost on commons that I've I've seen out of like limiteds in quite some time. Imperial Voyager. Oh, yeah. Uh, that card's a beating. Yeah. It's insane. It's like the version of Vampire Nighthawk in original uh, Zendikar kind of in the set. So it's it's a 2-3 flyer trample for one green-blue. When it deals combat damage to a player, you gain that much energy. It has no way to pay you off for energy, but it can just produce such massive amounts of energy that it's another one of those cards that begs to be dealt with. And even if they deal with it and you get a single swing in, you've already gotten way past the value of what that card is. Yep, that's such a good point. It's one of the most powerful. Like, if you are lucky enough to get a deck with, like, both a Whirl of Virtuoso and a Long Tusk Cub, or, you know, and, uh, yeah, like, whatever else your, your, you know, payoff is with the Imperial Voyager, you just, like, totally spiral out of control. And another card I didn't mention that is very relevant in these decks is Rogue Refiner. They did choose to reprint this card in this set, even though it was banned in standard. So this is one green blue for a 3-2 that draws a card when it enters the battlefield. Already very good, but it additionally gives you two energy. So that card's just like a slam dunk if you want to if you want to play this deck. Yep, uh, great deck. If you're leaning towards Teamer, I'd say go more towards Simic and then maybe splash a little bit of red for Whirler Virtuoso or Harness Lightning. But yeah, it's a great deck. Give it a try while uh, Kaladesh Remastered is on Arena. Within the Teamer colors, there's a few more things you can do. Uh, Red-green is a very, very just solid aggro deck. It's like an aggro deck with an energy sub-theme. And so you get cards like Riparian Tiger, for example. This card's a 4-4 for 3 and 2 green. It has Trample. When it ETBs, you get 2 energy. And whenever it attacks, you can pay 2 energy. And if you do, it gets plus 2, plus 2 until end of turn. So this thing is just like routinely a... Uh, what, what's what's our dino friend whose name I'm forgetting at the moment? Oh, Col- Colossal Dreadmore. <laughs> this, this is frequently a 5-mana Colossal Dreadmore. Which, you know, I don't need to tell you is a very, very good card in Limited. So, re- <laughs> respect the Tiger. Yeah, Tiger wor- is worth respect. Uh, I-, I remember in the original uh, Kaladesh that it-, it could be replacement level because the 5 was a bit expensive. Especially since the original one was so aggressive with some other common cards that are not going to be appearing in Kaladesh. But uh, this card, uh, I think, might get the job done a little bit more in this uh, remastered. 
Absolutely. And then, of course, you know, the uh, the thriving Rhino, like you said, was a, a very, very solid kind of aggressive energy card. Um, I think that they actually robbed us of one of my favorite aggressive uh, red-green cards in the form of thriving grubs. I, I actually think they left that one out of this set, which makes me a little mad. So we didn't get the whole thriving cycle. But you do get the thriving turtle, though. That's true. Thriving turtle. <laughs> so, okay, here's my question. Were you a buyer on Thriving Turtle? Because I feel like that one was kind of a divisive one. Yeah, I, I, I remember there was like a, a pretty large camp of whether or not Thriving Turtle was good or not uh, as great. I was actually more in the camp of I think it was actually quite a good card. It, it's an early card you can invest in. It's easy to bounce back with uh, a, a couple white cards that have uh, a good return effect. Decoction module, it's uh, a home run. And it also played like a pretty good role because if you attacked once and put a counter onto it, it could block some of the more aggressive things in Kaladesh. So I, I was more uh, pro turtle, but if you were if you were waving the the anti uh, turtle banner, no worries. It takes some people more time to get on board with Team Turtle, but you know Team <laughs> Turtle, we understand that it, sometimes it takes more time. You know, slow and steady wins the race. Indeed, indeed. Well, I've definitely lost games to the turtle. I've also lost games thinking the turtle was going to get me there when it didn't. But um, you know, definitely a a card to keep an eye on blue green with the turtle and any any of the colors in this combination you can just go hard on any two of them and you'll end up with a, a very functional deck just remember that the blue deck is probably going to be less of an aggro deck red green is definitely going to be a lot more aggressive and then red blue is actually an interesting one in this format because that takes a dip into a different direction so let's kind of talk about that a little bit they introduced another mechanic that we didn't get to when we were first talking about it here but that is improvise improvise is is basically like convoke for artifacts lets you tap untapped artifacts you control to pay one colorless mana each to pay for a spell there are some pretty good rate creatures in this set that pay you off for this so the first one i'm thinking of is maverick thopterist so this is three it's blue red for a 2-2 with Improvise, and when it ETBs, you make two Thopter creature tokens with flying. So this card is an absolute beating. If your opponent is able to improvise this out with one or two random artifacts they made, it's usually going to be game over. Another really good payoff, I think it's a common, it's called Sweatworks Brawler. This is a 3-3 for three and a red, and it has Improvise and Menace. So if you can get mm -hmm. this down for three or even two mana, this card is just like, it puts you so far ahead on board. So those are those are two really, really good payoffs to be in the improvised deck. When you're going towards the improvised deck, the one thing you really want to think about is what is your curve? What's your best curve like looking like to go into that improvise? Some of these cards are like, they're all like pretty serviceable, even if you don't take advantage of the cost reduction mechanic. But there are a number of really solid artifacts that we can kind of build into it, which is why cards like uh, Cog Worker's Puzzle Knots, we haven't even talked about the, the Puzzle Knots yet, yep. uh, which were such a massive part of the original Kaladesh, but uh, things that can produce more than one artifact on a single card really go up in evaluation when you already have like an improvised payoff or two. Yeah, there are this uh, cycle of puzzle knots. There's also a cycle of implements. These are all cards which they don't do that much when you cast them, but they usually end up generating just enough value for them, um, you know, to kind of justify putting them in your deck. I think one of the big ideas with like the improvised deck is that you're trying to do something like cast some cheap artifacts get two or three artifacts on the board 
Use those to power out your more expensive improvised threats. And then later on in the game, perhaps when you've reached a board stall or whatever, you actually sacrifice these artifacts to give you a little bit of an extra advantage. And then of course, in some decks, which we'll talk about later, um, that, that actually have some sacrifice synergies, like for example, revolt cards really uh, play well with sacrifice synergies. You can even get some extra value. So tricky, tricky stuff like that. Let's talk about these puzzle knots real quick. The one you referred to, Cogworkers Puzzle Knot, is a two mana artifact. And when it ETBs, you make a one-one servo creature token. Then you can also pay one and a white and sacrifice the puzzle knot to make another one-one colorless creature token. So that's four mana for two one-ones, not a great deal. But these cards end up just doing just enough that you often end up pretty happy to play them. Yeah, this card in particular is is quite strong because it, it generates those that two artifact on a single card, like I was talking about before. And it is four mana, but it is on like a payment plan. You know, like when you you can like run it out on on turn two, you've got those two artifacts. It can you know pay two. Uh, the improvised things. Uh, you can bounce it with the uh, white common. What was that white common called? It was like the a- it was a bear that you- aviary mechanic. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Oh man, felt I felt so good whenever you did that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there there's a number of, of pretty strong ETB effects, and then also things that can you know generate more than one things. And the good uh, the good thing about this too is it plays into some of those revolt payoffs that we might be finding in a couple of the decks we're going to talk down the line. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, unfortunately, they didn't give us all of the puzzle knots in this set, which is a bit of a shame. Uh, I missed the ones they left out, but they gave us a red puzzle knot, which is the fire forges that also costs two. When it ETBs, it deals one damage to any target. It's underrate. But you can also pay two in a red and sack it to deal another one damage to any target. Uh, this can make combat difficult for your opponents and, and gives you some other options. You can pick off servos with it and stuff like that. That's the red puzzle knot. They also give us the green puzzle knot that also costs two. When it ETBs, you gain three life and you get three energy. And when you sack it, you get those two effects again. So those are the three puzzle knots we're working with. They're all definitely playable. They're not high picks. These are definitely cards that you hope to get on the wheel. So don't prioritize them most of the time, unless unless you're in like a deck like Improvise that has a lot of payoffs and not enough enablers. Then you start to prioritize cheap artifacts a lot more. But that the, the theory is the way that you want to try to organize your drafts in a set like this is you typically want to get your good uncommon payoffs first, and then you want to kind of hope to wheel all of these dorky common artifacts that you use to fill in your curve to enable your more powerful cards. That's that's the order that you want to try to do it in if you can. Yeah, it's a it's a different time than uh, uh, limited sets of of your where you prioritize getting the best removal that you possibly can. Removal is still good, but you really just you want to have those cards that direct you towards making an active plan. Then you know just random removal cards like they uh like they used to do in you know old old sets like i I just recall like having to really prioritize removal in like original ravnica and uh to some extent like shards of alara but even there you just wanted color fixing but we're we're not talking about shards of alara we've got so much more calories to talk about (laughs) indeed indeed so if you're in blue red you'll definitely find yourself having the opportunity to pick up some improvise cards and by and large they're good they we had some crummy improvised cards in uh, Ether Revolt last time around, but I think they removed them. So 
Uh, I, I can't, you know, verify this with certainty, but just about any card in this set you see that has Improvise on it is probably worth taking. There's a giant, I think it's called Enraged Giant. This is a five and a red creature giant. It's a four four with Trample, Haste, and Improvise. This card's better than it looks. So this is just another example of a creature you should take quite highly if you think you're likely to end up in that Improvise deck. Um, this will often be a four mana trample haste. Sometimes it's even cheaper than that. Um, and then of course in the late game when you have six mana available anyway, this is just a great top deck. This this deck can be very, very solid when it comes together. So definitely uh, don't underrate that one. So we started to hedge into talking about these like more sacrifice value decks. Let's talk about that. Black is a very, very artifact focused color in this set. And... Uh, Gives you a few different options, but my favorite combination in the set with black was definitely black-white. Yes, absolutely. Yep, yep. It was so good, right? So you, you sound like a hidden stockpile gamer. Why don't you tell us about that card? All right. So, I mean, the, the, this uh, this uncommon build-around really defines what makes, I think, Revolt hum and also kind of highlights a lot of cool things going on. So it, it even made a, a reappearance in Double Masters, I believe. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, so it's it's an enchantment for a white and a black. It has the revolt trigger, so that means at the beginning of your end step uh, for the trigger here, if a permanent you control left the battlefield this turn, you make a 1-1 colorless servo artifact creature token. But the real like gas of this card is that it gives you a sacrifice outlet. You pay one and sack a creature to scry one. Now, the cool thing about this card is, though it, it, it looks kind of like it doesn't do much, it doesn't take all that much effort to start to fuel your hidden stockpile and get value off of you know sacking random things that you might be chump blocking getting additional value by paying extra mana off of your underhanded designs another black uncommon payoff hidden stockpile is really cool and even if you're not sacrificing your creatures you can still do things like return them to your hand uh, with the... Man, I, I lost that... What was the common again? The white common? I lost the name of it one more time. Yeah, I love this card. Yeah, the card puzzle knot. Uh, the puzzle oh, not yes the, the aviary mechanic yes oh my gosh aviary mechanic is such a an icon of the of the white decks it's, it's one in a white for a two two when it enters the battlefield you may return another permanent you control to its owner's hand so between the aviary mechanic you've got the cog workers puzzle knot hidden stockpile you're already just you know combining commons and uncommons to gain such wonderful like value off of just these cards kind of looping around and it feels like this set is gonna be a little bit slower than original kaladesh and i think a little bit more smooth in its mechanic build arounds with the the selection of cards that they put into kaladesh remastered that i think this is going to be something you want to keep an eye out and put together Absolutely, yeah. People criticized the original Kaladesh set for being a little bit too aggro. Personally, I didn't feel that way. I always felt that if I was playing in one of these non-aggro decks that I had the tools to at least keep up in a game. But a lot of people didn't like it. There were cards such as Renegade Freighter, which uh, was a mythic common that, you know, you, you can't get through any mention of the original Kaladesh without that card coming up. Um, people called it Freytohoof Behemoth for how good it was. <laughs> um, but I agree, they've, they've removed that card from the set. They removed cards like Thriving Grubs, which just snowballed the game from turn two. So I, I think you will have a little bit more time to do your dirtily nonsense. And uh, that's a good thing for these decks, because that's what Black White is all about. 
And yeah, and there's there there's like a card since we're kind of talking about the white black uh, artifacts slash permanents on the board slash revolt thing going on. I mentioned it before, uh, but it's a card that looks pretty unassuming. But when you have a revolt payoff and you can get it over multiple turns, a card like Conviction does a lot of work. Mm, so this is yeah. an aura that came out in. Uh, in uh, the second set, one in a white, you enchant a creature. It, it gets plus one, plus three. Now, just at that surface level, it's not a very good card, but it has an activated ability of pay one to return conviction to its owner's hand. So you're producing like a pretty good blocker. You're also triggering the revolt off the return from conviction. It, it looks unassuming, but this is a great card that if you already have, say, a hidden stockpile, you can table and suddenly you've got yourself this really cool recurring engine. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of those cards which like absolutely don't pick it up if you're just going to play it straight, but it can be one of the best cards 20 through 23 in your deck when you have these kind of revolt synergies and it can be one of those cards that does a surprising amount of work for you throughout a game. Also just slows your opponent down, gives you a pretty strong blocker while you can do all of your shenanigans. So yeah, really, really excellent example of kind of an underrated card that makes its way in. So let's talk about some of the other key cards that makes this deck tick. I would be remiss if I didn't mention just one of the overall best commons in this set in the form of Glint Sleeve Artisan. Ooh, yeah, there it is. If you're in any white deck, pick up as many of these as you can. Control deck, aggro deck, value deck, just pick them up. So this is two and a white. It's a 2-2 Dwarf Artificer with Fabricate 1. So this can either come down as a 3-3 or it comes down as a 2-2 that makes a 1-1. This card is just, this card butters your toast. It does whatever you need it to do. And uh, Mm. it's basically good at all points in the game. So don't pass a glint sleeve. Yeah. It even puts some marmalade on top of that toast, too. <laughs> Indeed. A, a card like Glint Sleeve Artisan and a couple other really strong uncommon Fabricate cards, they put together what might be the best uh, deck that Inspiring Charge ever goes into. Uh, Inspired Charge is uh, two colorless, white, white for an instant. Creatures you control get plus two, plus one until end of turn. The, this might be one of the most powerful go-wide decks that has existed in the last seven years of Limited. It is something you can do. Now, I want to point out, if you do want to do the go-wide thing, there's a card... Let me see if I can... don't remember what it's called off the top of my head here. But it's a it's a Fabricate 2, um, and it's either a common or an uncommon. It's very, very important in these go-wide decks. Uh, so there was, there was Weaponcraft Enthusiast... Oh, that was in black. Yep, that was yeah. a very, very good one. Uh, that's what. That's an O one for two and a black that is has fabricate two. That's right. Yep, and then oh, and, okay, and then the one I was thinking about. Yeah, it's an uncommon visionary augmenter. That's two white white for a two one fabricate two. So let's say you want to do a black white go wide value deck with an eventual finish with the uh, inspiring charge then those two uncommons are definitely like very, very high picks. These cards, just like we were saying before, these cards are better than they look. Most of the Fabricate cards are better than they look. One of my favorites is actually the Propeller Pioneer. Three and a white, two one, flying Fabricate one. This card just does what you need it to do, man. It goes wide if you want to go wide, 
And then if you find yourself in a good aggressive position, you just have a three power flyer for four mana. So um, yeah, Propeller Pioneer is solid. If you look at your curve at the end of a draft and you have like two Glint Sleeve Artisans, two Propeller Pioneers, and then you have like, you know, maybe a Visionary Augmenter or a Weapon Craft Enthusiast, you manage to pick up an Inspired Charge and then just like some removal and some other role players, that's going to be a very, very solid deck. You're going to be extremely happy about that. Another kind of mythic uncommon in this archetype before we finish out Black White is Restoration Gearsmith. Yeah. This is what uh, LSV affectionately termed Restoration Will Smith. <laughs> and it's an NVP, just like Will Smith, uh, two black white for a 3-3 human artificer. And when the Gearsmith ETBs, you can return target artifact or creature card from your graveyard to your hand. So take that in for a moment. A 3-3 for four, which buys you back any creature or artifact from your graveyard. So this card is just utterly insane for limited um you know you can play this in the mid game and get an incredible value and if you play it in the late game it's usually a game ender you'll get your whatever your best thing is from the graveyard back to your hand and maybe even be able to cast it in the same turn and then of course if you are doing shenanigans with your aviary mechanic a card we keep talking about you can you know buy something back use your aviary mechanic to bounce this back to your hand and then buy another thing back and usually your opponent just can't kind of overcome that amount of value. So definitely keep an eye out for these kind of loops. That's one of the recurring themes in this set is that it sets you up to do these repeatable loops that just generate and snowball more and more and more value until you can eventually over overcome your opponent. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention um, one of the, another one of the better white cards in the form of Wistweaver Angel. So this is four white white for a four four flyer. And when Whisper Angel enters the battlefield, you can exile another target creature you control and then return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. So this is just another yeah. example of how to keep your value engines going, right? Yeah, and Wisp Weaver Angel also has the grace of having one of the best top curves you could put together in this format with going turn five Cloud Blazer into Wisp Weaver Angel. <laughs> there you go. If if you do that, you should screenshot it and share it wherever you can because drawing four cards over the course of two turns in addition to your normal draw step makes you kind of feel like a champion. And I, if you if you get yourself a cloud blazer, which is one of the best uh, uh, uncommon build arounds in the set, like that the the angel goes up a little bit higher in estimation. So the existence of cards like Whisper Angel and Aviary Mechanic. I think should bias you towards, like we were talking about earlier, playing your Fabricate cards making tokens rather than making counters. Because it feels kind of bad if, like, let's say you play your Visionary Augmenter and you make it a 4-3, and then you play your Aviary Mechanic and you have the choice to bounce it, and you're like, well, I'm not really getting any value out of that. So unless it really makes sense on the board to make bigger creatures, I would bias towards you know, making those servos so that when you resolve your Whisperer Angel or your Avery Mechanic or any of these other cards, you can actually get additional value out of your stuff. And at that point, maybe the 4-3 matters more than the extra tokens. And so, you know, first go around, you went wide. Second go around, you went tall. And that's the kind of value that you can get out of these cards. 
A good rule of thumb, friends, when in doubt, get those tokens out, because it is probably just better for you to make those tokens than stack counters on white creatures. Yep, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, so you started buying us into like this kind of blue-white flyers deck, and uh, I do want to talk about that a little bit. Why don't you read for us that card Cloud Blazer that you mentioned, because that's a card that few limited mages can resist, I tell you what. <laughs> Yeah, this is very much like the, the modern-day equivalent of a Mold Drifter. Uh, it's three white-blue for a 2-2 flyer. When it enters the battlefield, you gain two life and draw two cards. I mean, just reading this card, it, it spews value. It, it's exactly what we talked about before. Bury your opponent in card advantage. And because white has a number of things that return permanence back to your hand, like, say, your aviary mechanic or blinking it with the angel that we mentioned before, it just lends to having that sky control build around along with maybe if you if you're putting some tokens on the battlefield to to block the ground and control that ground game you can get there with a few flyers in the late game plus white also has uh the generosity of having a surprisingly powerful removal spell that i think finds its best home in the white blue flyers deck which is sky whaler shot and i mm. i, I want to talk about this card a little bit arjuna because it, it has a lot of comparisons to some modern limited formats that might shy people away from this card but this card was a home run like a plus pick in the original kaladesh block yep yep absolutely so, it's a card that it reminds you of cards like smite the monstrous which are like you just don't even start them in your deck these days. But yeah, Sky Whaler's shot is, is like you said, it's an A-plus pick. You know, you're, you're windmill slamming that as a first pick. Um, so yeah, definitely don't, don't give up on the opportunity to play that card in your deck if you can. It's it's not smite the monstrous. Yeah, it's not smite the monstrous. <laughs> it, it's it's better. It's better than that. And this is one of uh, the white deck's ways of combating like a turn two long tusk cub. Yeah, exactly. It's it's quite important. So yeah, this card two and a white instant destroy target creature with power three or greater and scry one. So the combination of things on this card, it's an instant. Instead of being power four, it's power three. That's a very, very uh, relevant difference. And the scry one really puts it over the top. So yeah, this is just absolutely premium removal. White has very, very good removal. You also get Thopter Arrest. Mm -hmm. That's two and a white enchantment. When it ETBs, you can exile an artifact or creature an opponent controls until it leaves the battlefield. This can take care of an opponent's vehicle uh, if that's causing a problem for you. And just yep. one of the better O-ring effects in this set. We also have the obligatory passivism effect in Revoke Privileges, which was another uh, high uh, pick because, again, it was white utility, which we don't often get. It's uh, it's two and a white for an enchantment aura, enchant creature, enchanted creature can't attack, block, or crew vehicles, which was actually quite relevant when we had you know, renegade freighters lying around before. And there's still a number of decent vehicles here, so uh, prioritizing a card like that is, I think, uh, a good thing to to kind of put into your uh, pick assessment. Yeah, I think in recent sets, we've come to think of these enchantment, enchantment removal cards as being worse. And in this set, they, they primarily aren't. I mean, if your opponent, you know, if you cast this on your opponent's creature and they aviary mechanic, you do feel kind of bad about it. But these cards are definitely still very, very good in this set. And I would take them highly for sure. 
Yeah, and the blue-white deck is also the best place uh, for Aether Tradewinds, which is another pretty notable card. Uh, I think this was reprinted back from Worldwake, I think was maybe the first time we oh, saw really? it. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a two and a blue instant return target permanent you control and a target permanent you don't control to their owner's hand. It feels very much like run away together, but it looks like it costs a little bit more. But when you have uh, a lot of end of the battlefield effects, which is, I think, one of the central theses of Kaladesh Remastered, there's so many enter the battlefield effects, particularly in blue and white. A card like Aether Tradewinds does a fair amount of work at both disruption and reoccurring value. Yeah, absolutely. Doing something like you're in the middle of combat, you block with a Cloud Blazer, and then you bounce your Cloud Blazer and your opponent's unblocked creature, especially maybe your opponent's unblocked creature without an ETB, and you just got so much value out of that interaction. Look out for stuff like that to do. This card leads to some of the biggest blowouts in the format. I have certainly won and lost games on the back of a well-timed Aether Tradewinds. Another card that's important in this archetype, an important signpost uncommon from Aether Revolt is Spire Patrol. This is two white blue for a 3-2 flyer. And when it ETBs, you uh, tap a creature down and opponent controls and it doesn't untap during the next untap step. So this can just be a game-winning tempo play on turn four. And if you're paying attention, you'll notice that there are a lot of like three-powered flyers for four in this set. So these uh, white flyers decks have teeth. Like don't underestimate how quickly you can get your opponent dead just getting down a couple of these flyers. Like you said, Corey, chump blocking with some servos, locking the ground up, enchanting one of your opponent's creatures to slow down the race. Sometimes you can even do a thing where, I've done this quite a lot in this format, where you'll have like a blue-white flyers deck with some fabricate stuff in it and you play a copy of that inspired charge and sometimes you just kill your opponent for like 10 damage in the air off of your inspired charge sometimes you don't even need to have all of those servos on the ground of course it's a you know it's it's great when you get to do both but a combat trick like inspired charge if you have like some thopters for example whoa nelly flying three one attacking thopters kill your opponent very quickly yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to find, because I, I don't know if this happened to you. It happened to me all the time uh, in the original Kaladesh. I really got kind of confused by Servos versus Thopters in the format. It looks like they kind of, yeah, it looks like they cleared up a lot of that uh, from the, the release list. There's going to be a lot more Servos. I, I'm trying to see if I can even find a, a single Thopter card. And the difference is, you know, one's a 1-1 one, one ground creature, the other one's a flying. Uh, but I think for the most part, they've kind of condensed it, so most of those tokens look like they're going to be servos. But even regardless of that, there the White Blues Flyers deck, it's going to be pungent. It curves exactly the way you think that it does. If you you know prioritize those flying cards, Inspire Charge, one of the better times it's been printed in a limited format. Feel free, find that card a little bit later on in the pick order, maybe on the wheel, and you'll have a, a pretty serviceable deck because I think White Blue has enough disruption and uh, enchantment removal, Skywiller shot to push through and uh, get some good tempo and kind of let you seal games up by turn five or six. Okay, let's pivot into another pretty strong archetype, which was the scourge of the limited format the first time around. This is the red-white aggro deck and the vehicles as well. This is the deck that 
uses vehicles best. It uses a lot of the same white cards that we were just talking about. Any of your fabricate mm -hmm. creatures go fine into this deck. All of those creatures can be very, very good aggressive creatures. It gives us some additional tools and we get some really, really good multicolored cards, especially at Uncommon. So the first one I want to talk about is Veteran Motorist. This card was constructed playable. Honestly, one of the better uncommon creatures I've seen printed in recent years. So I'll read this one off. It's a red and a white for a 3-1 dwarf pilot. So it hits hard and it also crews just about anything as well. When it ETBs, you scry two. So that's amazing. And then when it crews a vehicle, that vehicle gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. So... You can play this with no vehicles in your deck and it's still an amazing card. 3-1 Scry 2 for 2 is just a very, very solid card. So if you see these going around the table, it's a sign. It'll pull you into the red-white color combo. Just a really, really solid card. Arjuna, I actually want to ask you uh, about Veteran Motorist a little bit because I, I remember this card being very good. Yeah. And especially good because we had, you know, the old Renegade Freighter, which we already touched on. But the thing about this card when I look at it especially since there's a lot of servos just ending up on the battlefield. This card I actually don't look at as an attacker often. It really is strictly a card that works best when you have a lot of good things to crew. And the fact that it is a two-color card means you have that cost of needing to have two colors into your deck and consistency. So when I look at a card like this, I'm not looking at an attacker. I'm actually looking strictly at a, a crew engine. But the fact that it builds in a Scry 2 means that it is still a good card, but do you kind of find that to be similar when you look at a card like this and the way the format is shaping out? It's a good thing to think about, and it's definitely a strike against this card. I think X1s in general have a harder time in a format full of servos and whatever. But I still think, I think a 3-1 Scry 2 for 2 mana in Limited is just a slam dunk, basically no matter what the format looks like. So I would not hesitate to put this in my decks regardless. If your opponent doesn't manage to get servos down, which happens sometimes, then this thing just hits really hard. Yeah, I, I just think that you're always going to find good uses for a card like this. But I, I take your point that it's perhaps worse in a format without Renegade Freighter and some of the other vehicles that really define the original format. And believe you me, if I see this and, I, and I'm and i sniffing in the red-white area, I will take it and I will happily crew all the vehicles and swing where I can. I, I think it's something worthy of note, and it looks like there's a, a few... Uh, bits of especially red removal and even in black with make obsolete that does get some incidental x1 killing things going on so it's just something worth noting another red white uh uncommon which is very very strong in this set is renegade wheelsmith this is one red white for a three two and whenever it becomes tapped, target creature can't block this turn. So note that becomes tapped clause. That means either when it attacks or when it crews a vehicle. So um, this card is just a solid beater in these aggressive decks. And another card that should pull you into the color combo. This card ends games very, very quickly. Here's another thing to note as well. Whereas some of the other cards that we've mentioned here could really get played in a number of different decks, like everyone's going to be fighting over Rogue Refiner, Whirl of Virtuoso, a lot of these energy cards, a lot of different people are going to try to put them in their decks. But 
If you're like the red-white drafter at the table, you're probably not going to be fighting anyone for Renegade Wheel Smith or Veteran Motorist or any of these other cards. So um, you can kind of content yourself with the knowledge that you're probably going to get all of these multicolored cards at the table if you're the person who decides to go into the deck. Classic red-white. Classic there you go. red-white. <laughs> there you go. And it, it can probably only support one player at the table. So you have to figure out whether that's you or not, because if you put together a second-rate version of the deck, it's just not deep enough to sustain you. But if you are like, you know, that one person doing the thing, you're going to have a very, very solid deck for sure. Yeah, and cards like our our two red-white uncommon build-arounds, they really highlight that the crewing vehicles mechanic is truly best when you're on the aggressive. You can crew to block, but when you're crewing to block, you're actually kind of removing one of your blockers from the table. You have to tap it to block with the other creature, which is why when you're looking at some of those vehicles, you do kind of have to start by looking at them through an aggressive lens like a red-white deck. Absolutely. So speaking of vehicles, let's talk about some of the cards that... Because, you know, this set has a lot of vehicles, and a lot of them are, quite frankly, kind of garbage. So <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not wrong. Yeah, right. I want to read off some of the ones that I have found have withstood the test of time. So the first one I want to mention is Bomat Bazaar Barge. This is an uncommon. Costs four mana. It is a 5-5. Five, five. When it enters the battlefield, you draw a card, and it has crew three. A 5-5 five, five, crew three for four probably not quite good enough for limited but when you put that draw card on it there's almost no downside to this you take a little bit of a tempo hit to play it but uh you know if you can turn around and block with it that's excellent and so this is one of the better vehicles in the set for sure yeah a uh, beaumont bizarre barge was definitely one of those points of contention because it worked with that same tension of it, it works really well as a big creature, but it's the same thing of like you got to tap two creatures, like you have to tap one creature to block with another. But yeah, the mitigating cost of the drawing uh, card, absolutely. It's a, but if you're trying to like bounce permanence with say like the blue white deck, I would not look at a card like Bomat Bizarre Barge to bounce it and get that reoccurring draw trigger. That's not where you want to be. You really want to get more of that Fabricate value or the Cloud Blazer value. Definitely don't try to like blue-white recurred redrawing cards off of Bomat Bizarre Barge. Yeah, that's not what you're trying to do. Yeah. It's way too expensive. Yeah, that's, that's like a late game, have absolutely nothing else to do kind of a play. Which, you know, when you have to do it, you get there. Yeah. You get there, but it's... It, it's plan it's plan b.2 you know dirty is the name of the game in limited you do what you got to do right <laughs> roll up your sleeves and 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 go to the bazaar if you have to but that don't make that a central plan of the deck it's not it's definitely not the payoff you think it might be okay another uncommon vehicle which i think is a little bit more than the sum of its parts daredevil dragster this is a three mana for a four four vehicle at the end of combat if the dragster attacks or block this combat, put a velocity counter on it. Then if it has two or more velocity counters on it, you sack it, you draw two cards, and it has crew two. So a little bit of a weird card, I would say. Basically what this means is this enters combat twice, and then at the end of combat, that's right, so you get two combats out of this, and then at the end of the second combat, you are forced to, you don't get to choose, you have to sack it and draw two cards. So it's kind of cool because this is a card that can bridge you from the mid game to the late game. Sometimes you actually would rather not sack it, like if you're in an aggressive deck and you're winning and you just want to keep your 4-4 on the, on the battlefield and attack, you would maybe rather not sack it, but that's part of the fun tension of the card. And it's, I mean, it is a two for one. 
So I think overall this card is really good, and you should play it in any vehicles deck. I'm curious. I, I never actually had a chance to play with this card. I've seen it resolved and do the thing a few times. So I, I'm curious to see how this card is going to pan out. It is so unique of a, a design, though, right? It's an aggressive card. It's a 4-4 four, four for 3, but you only get it for, like, two turns. It almost reminds me of, like, an unearth card, but then you draw two cards. I it It's such a curious one, but I, I think it's going to do some work. So I... I, I I look forward to seeing how it plays out in this remastered format. It does, and it also it also does trigger a revolt. It's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's one of those cards that it's weird, but I think you will be more happy than not to put it in your deck, especially if it's in a vehicles deck. One of the few, I would argue, playable vehicles at common, though it's on the cusp of playability. Iron Tread Crusher. This is four mana for a six six crew three, and that's it. <laughs> it's a big one. It, yep. it, this this to me is the Hummer of Kaladesh, just rolling <laughs> down the street, just like using all the gas it possibly can. It 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 asks you to uh, have a crew three. That's that that's not a small cost. Like the difference between crew two and crew three is actually quite significant. Crew two you can hit with most of your two drops. Crew three. You're going to either need to tap down more than likely a three drop or potentially two permanents to make this card become a creature. And the vaulting difference between a crew two and a crew three is is not small. So when you're taking your, your crew three cards, you really need to think about what other things you can do to crew it. And typically, if you have to tap down two creatures to crew a single vehicle, you're, you're not really getting your value. So... Only like when I have, say, like your veteran motorist, do I even think about maybe wanting to play this card. Yeah, that's a really good point. You don't want to run these in multiples. And they do go up in value if you're running cards like Audacious Infiltrator, for example. Three powered creatures that cost two mana. Uh, those, are, those are the kind of cards that really make your Iron Tread Crusher come together. Another way that this can benefit is sometimes you'll build like a low curve aggro deck. And you end up with a lot of these like two and three power creatures. And you might end up getting brick walled in the mid to late game if your opponent has a good blocker. And so in a situation like that, running like one copy of an Iron Tread Crusher can just give you a big dumb finisher to help you kind of smash through and keep getting your damage going. So, but I, I totally agree. This card is not like a, don't think of this as a regular playable. Think of it as a fringe playable that might make your deck if you have the, the support for it. Yeah, if you, if you got a pack a Hummer, pack a Hummer. If you need a little something to get you to the end, but uh, uh, drive with caution. Indeed. Now, a card that I would I have never put this card in my deck, and I recommend you don't either, is Mobile Garrison. This is a another three mana vehicle. This is a three four. When it ETBs, you can untap another target artifact or creature you control, and it's crew two. So the joke of this card is that you crew it, and then you untap whatever you use to crew it. So it kind of mitigates that crew cost. And so on the surface of it, it looks like a serviceable card, but honestly, a 3-4 for 3 is not that much above rate and limited anyway. And then the additional kind of stipulation that you need another creature to get this thing going, it just all adds up to be a very, very underwhelming card. So I would definitely not put this card in your deck. You know, if you can use that untap for extra value, like you crew it and then you have some other way to get some of that tap value with i don't know i guess another vehicle <laughs> I, I i don't even know yeah i, I you're, you're right though like a three four for three is fine but it's just barely above the rate though 
there's a couple of other vehicles in this set, but um, I, I think like most of the good ones are at Uncommon. A really, really good one I want to highlight is Untethered Express. That's a four mana, four, four trample. Whenever it attacks, you put a plus one, plus one counter on it and it crews for one. This is kind of like the Renegade Freighter of Ether Revolt, one of those cards that ends up being kind of an above above rate or maybe below rate depending on how you look at it threat which can kind of run away with a game so um untethered express is definitely one of the better vehicles in the format one of the reasons for that is that it's crew one right so it's just uh i don't know it's a very very solid card and a, a very it's a high pick in a vehicle's deck even in just any kind of creature aggressive deck, Untethered Express is great. And one of the things I should point out with vehicles is that they're colorless. So you can Shanghai them into all kinds of decks in the format. So just keep an open mind about that. That does pump the, it, it pushes them up the pick order a little bit. You just need to make sure that they're actually on plan for your deck and that your deck has a, a plan for how you're going to crew them consistently. Right. And you also you bring up that excellent point of the pick order, right? The equity that you get when you take a colorless card in the early development of the draft and leaving the signals open. Uh, but, you know, in the same vein, those vehicles, they really do work best in certain types of decks and builds. So if you're going to look at, say, a vehicle, you really make sure that you're getting your best value off of it. Low crew costs, generally good payoffs on the attack trigger, like Senor Two Toots, like you just mentioned. Uh, that that is something that I, like I'm I'm more inclined to take in the early rather than like even if like it's a colorless card and you're like yeah I can stay open things like some of those like kind of relatively underwhelming vehicles they're not worth that high pick. Apart from that runaway freighter, the only other vehicles that are really worth that kind of first pickable or early pickable because they're colorless uh, kind of billing are really some of the rare ones. I will just say, for anyone who doesn't know, the Windmill Slam first pick in this set has always been Sky Sovereign Console Flagship. Oh gosh. So, <laughs> however good you think this card is, it's better. Pick this card, alright? Never pass this card. I don't care what else is in the pack, I don't care if you're in a control deck with no creatures in it. Pick Sky Sovereign Console Flagship, it's absolutely the best card in the set for Limited. Correct. I, I mean, that, that's just a full stop statement. The last thing I just want to highlight is uh, what are some of those cards in this archetype of the red-white vehicles that you can find on the on the table. Uh, one of the more tableable cards in this deck archetype is Built to Smash, and that brings a lot a lot of endgame potential to some of those larger vehicles. So it's one red for an instant. Target attacking creature gets plus three, plus three. If it's an artifact creature, like a vehicle, it gains trample. When you have a card like this, a plus three, plus three trick, it really allows you to just tap all of those servo sideways, activate those vehicles, and push through that extra damage. So Built to Smash, it's a great card to table around. It's a reason to be in this deck because it can get you to those final points of damage in a pinch. Great, great payoff, I think, uh, if you're going to end up doing this kind of deck. That is such an excellent point and such a really good example. It's a little bit like uh, in Zendikar Rising, you have the uh, that wizard payoff, which gives a creature, you know, minus four, minus oh, and draws you a card if you have a wizard. Um, chilling Trap. Yeah, yeah, Chilling Trap, exactly. It's one of those cards that is, like, fairly mediocre in a deck that's not built around it, 
but it's like an amazing combat trick in a deck that can take advantage of it. And yeah, you will lose to build to smash time and time again in this format. Plus three, plus three for one mana is just an absolute beating. So <laughs> yeah, keep an eye out for that card for sure. I would definitely run two copies in any deck that is really like aggressive and has a good number of artifact creatures in it. Cool. All right. Time's moving along here. So the other kind of big picture thing I wanted to talk about was there's a whole counters synergy going on in this set. And it's primarily in the Abzan colors. Although again, you do see the counters in, in most of the, actually all of the colors will give you creatures that get plus one, plus one counters on them, but definitely concentrated in the Abzan colors. So white is primarily included in this just because of all the fabricate. So those are just like excellent creatures that can again fit into just about every deck so you can easily end up in just like a green white counters deck where you have a bunch of fabricate creatures in white and then you have a bunch of green payoffy green gives you a lot of the payoffs for the plus one plus one counters whereas uh, the other black and white will give you like enablers for them but these decks can be very 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 strong so let's talk about like the signpost build around uncommon for this uh, archetype which is winding constrictor so this is a certainly standard playable card. I think this card's even made its way into older formats in combination with things like hardened scales and whatnot. So this is very much a constructed level power of card. When, when you see this thing go off, you'll understand why it's so good. But uh, so Winding Constrictor is a black and a green for a 2-3 creature snake. If one or more counters will be put on an artifact or creature you control, that many plus one of each of those kinds of counters are put on that permanent instead. And if you would get one or more counters as a player, you get that many plus one of each of those kinds instead. So it does buff your energy, but that's not primarily what you're going to be using it for, but it is just like a little side benefit of the card. But the primary thing you're doing with this is just doubling the plus one plus one counters that you put on your creatures. And if you get to do that a couple of times, you should just absolutely run away with the game and bury your opponent playing Winding Constrictor. Here's one thing to note is that the modern equivalent of this was the uh, Conclave Mentor, I think was the name of it. Oh, buddy. Yes. Great, great comparison line there. Yeah. And so that card was pretty good in its limited format. But I tell you what, Winding Constrictor is better. Like the, the support is really there for this card big time. So however good you thought Conclave Mentor was, bump it up a couple of notches and that's Winding Constrictor. This card is like a, again, it's another windmill slam first pick and draft. Yeah, and realize like Arjuna's saying that with Corset 2021, White Green was probably the best deck in that format when it came together. <laughs> uh, yep. But you know, I don't think I've ever seen a two drop uncommon card that has the most works with set mechanics than this card. It's like fabricate energy more. Enjoy. Here you go. And it's it, it's great. It is one of the reasons to be in black green, which uh, if I recall, it it wasn't necessarily like the best color combination to be in in general. But this, when it came out in Aether Revolt, kind of changed the tempo uh, for that deck archetype, along with some classic mainstays like Pima uh, Outrider. Is that what it's called? Yep. Pima, Out yep. Pima, Pima Outrider. Yeah, Pima Outrider. One of the best common, yeah. kind of just common cards for the deck for sure. Yeah. Yeah, this is a, a 3 3 trample for, for two green green and has Fabricate one. You know, you, it, this is like one of the few decks that you'll actually uh, put plus one plus one counters on those fabric, Fabricate creatures. 
as opposed to making servos out of them because you have a number of counter synergies. Uh, and that's even alongside another uncommon from Aether Revolt that is interesting and, and, and impressed me because it, it has this really interesting tension built in. Ridge scale Tusker. Oh my gosh, what a beating. Yeah, three colorless, green, green for a 5-5. Five, five. When it ETBs, you put a plus one, plus one counter on each other creature you control. So we're talking this world of abs and counters. This is a card that has this weird tension between well, I, I want to stack counters on my creatures, but then also this rewards me for going a little bit wide, but then you like put that picture alongside Winding Constrictor. This is a deck that has some relatively complex sequencing. So going into this deck, you just kind of want to think about what exactly is going to be that game plan for that game in particular, because it could change uh, depending on the sequence in which you draw your cards. That's one of the most interesting things about Fabricate, just as a mechanic uh, to me, is that it really can change how the texture of that individual card is based on what's going on with your hand, with the game plan, and what your opponents are doing. Absolutely, yeah. I couldn't have said it better myself. Ridge Scale Tusker is is a windmill slam. It's another first pick in the draft, whether or not you have cards like Winding Constrictor in your deck. A five five for five that also just happens to like buff the entire rest of your team when it comes down is just a game ender and a and a windmill slam. So pick and play as many of these as you get. I would play like four of these if I got four of these. You know what I mean? Like, huh. it's just... And that's a, a five drop, y'all. That's a five drop. It's a beating. It, this card is a beating. You you just don't understand how nasty this card is until it comes down. So, yeah, uh, Ritz Scale Tusk is amazing. There's also just, like you said, there's like a number of role player cards like the Pima uh, Outrider. Another one I'm thinking of is Kujar Seed Sculptor. This is like a surprisingly unassuming card that is just like an absolute house in the format. So Kuja Seed Sculptor is one and a green for a 1-2. When it ETBs, you put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. So on the baseline, this is a 2-3 for two, which is just an excellent rate. And then, you know, later in the game, you could even leverage the counter that goes on this with some of the other cards we're going to talk about. Or, you know, you can play this in the mid-game to buff a creature to enable attack you otherwise wouldn't have had. So Seed Sculpture is a surprisingly premium common. Um, and this is like one of those cards where if you're seeing a bunch of these go around the table, it's the kind of thing that would actually pull you into the color. So this is an example of one of those, those common cards. You don't often see this, but like a common card which indicates that an archetype is really open and might actually pull you into it. So Kuja Seed Sculptor is an overperformer for sure. It, it really is. Two, so many two threes for two in this format, now that I think about it. Yeah. Like Winding Constrictor, this. And I, I think this is also the deck that plays one of the best removal spells in the format, Monstrous Onslaught the best. Oh, yeah. Monstrous Onslaught is just a beating, man. Read that one for us. Yeah. Three colorless, green, green. It's a sorcery. It deals X damage divided as you choose amongst any number of target creatures, where X is the greatest power amongst creatures you control as you cast the spell. So, number one, it can't be interacted with removal spells because it checks upon cast, and then you get to uh, distribute that damage. It's nice that they put that failsafe in there with some instant speed removal that is kind of prevalent in the format, but this card, again, it's one of those payoffs for going tall other than wide, which is really cool because there's a lot of uh, white decks that want to go wide, white, black, 
red, white, blue, white to some extent. And this is uh, an example of a deck that can really go tall. That combined with Nature's Way as well. Uh, target creature you control gains vigilance, trample, it deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. You know, again, like it, that's just it, one it, of the yeah. it's one of the best removal spells I've seen in limited in a long time. Removal is yeah. going to be good in this format. It's yeah. going to be strong. And the cool thing about this Abzan counter thing, it, it benefits you for doing what you're trying to do, which is stack counters. And it works nice with, like, say, Thriving Rhino, pumping the energy into it, because you are going to find some things along the way that are just going to give you energy. Uh, it It's almost kind of similar, now that I'm thinking about it, to, say, Theros Beyond Death, where the best decks have a way to utilize their escape cards. The best decks in Kaladesh are probably going to have a release valve to use some of that energy. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's rare in this format that you don't end up with a couple energy because it's just on so many of the cards. So, yeah, and it's regardless of deck archetype. You're just going to find energy. Absolutely. So let's talk about some of the big payoffs for these plus one, plus one counters. The first one that came to my mind that I remember from this set is called Armorcraft Judge. This card is just a beating. Oh. So three and a green for a 3-3 three, three Elf Artificer, and when it ETBs, you draw a card for each creature you control with a plus one, plus one counter on it. Just take a moment to kind of take that in, all right? And then realize that this card is just often a 3-3 three, three that's going to draw you like two to four cards when you resolve it, which is just unbelievable. I mean, you'll reach mid-games where your opponent plays one of these, and you basically just want to quit the game. You're just like, well, my opponent just basically like Sphinxes revved on me, and what do I have going on? This card is like, you like Harmonize? Well, how about also have a three-three body? Does that sound good? <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. And that's just the way that it's just the way that this format like kind of pans out, and the way you just naturally get counters. It's great. Yeah. Great card in a deck that's you know really built properly. This is just like basically an A plus. Another example of a card, too, just to think about your sequencing with your Fabricate as well. So as you are curving out with your Glint Sleeve Artisan, uh, you want to play to be able to draw more cards off that Armorcraft Judge. It's a great card. Just utilize it in the best way that you possibly can and realize that what is in your deck and what can come. Uh, while we're kind of on the topic and we're talking about green and to some extent as well white in that realm, how do you feel about main decking naturalized effects? in Kaladesh, because there's a number of them. Appetite for the Unnatural, there's one in white for a single white that gets something with CMC four or less. Yeah, that's uh, right. Frag Fragmentize. It's a, it's a good question worthy of, of asking. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And yeah, my experience certainly playing triple Kaladesh, I didn't play as much Aether Revolt, but I would imagine it still applies, is that running one main deck uh, artifact and enchantment killer was a safe bet. So by the end of the format, and especially I found Appetite for the Unnatural was a premium one. I'll read this one off. Two and a green, instant, destroy target artifact or enchantment, you gain two life. This card was basically removal in these sets, and I very rarely regretted main decking it. So was that your experience as well? Yeah, and I think you hit it right. Playing one is, is a pretty fair space, but I did find sometimes when removal was low that I would maybe play a second one if I could find a second one along the way, especially in, say, like a, a white deck that I'm prioritizing my tricks in an aggro build. Like, I'll, I'll sometimes end up with a, a second Fragmatize. But as this format is going to be played on the ladder, I think it's a pretty safe bet for you to at least play a single naturalized disenchant effect, and I think it'll do you well. Absolutely. And if you're playing best of three, picking up multiples is a very, very solid 
solid thing to do. There are some decks where like if you have multiple appetites for the unnatural, you're just gonna demolish them. So yeah, that's I'm really glad you brought that up. It's an excellent point. It's just always one of those questions, you know, like, is is this a main deck naturalized format? And, you know, say in Theros Beyond Death, which we were just at la- like this last week. Yeah, you, you play your Revoke Existence. I think you do uh, play an effect if you have it here in Kaladesh as well. On the subject of green, uh, green has several combat tricks that are just can absolutely blow you out that you need to be aware of in this format. So the first one is Blossoming Oh, defense. I think I, kn- I knew you were going <laughs> to say this card. I knew it. Like, it, this is this is the Ranger's Guile of the format, and it, it's just better than it. Like, read it. Yep, this card is nasty, especially in Limited. Yeah, so one green instant target creature you control gets plus two, plus two, and gains hexproof until end of turn. So one mana for plus two, plus two is already a reasonably good combat trick. And the Hexproof just puts it over the top. The place in which this card is best, right, is when you declare an attack and your opponent instant speed tries to remove your attacker and then you get to Blossoming Defense. You grow your attacker and you blank their spell. That's just a really nasty thing to do. But yeah, this card, it just has so many uses for so many different things and can make interaction, combat, attacking, or blocking a total nightmare for your opponent. Yep, and if your opponent just has a single green mana open, you have to consider it. Good news, it is an uncommon, so it's not like you're going to be frequently blown out by it on the ladder or elsewise. It's just, if your opponent has a green open, be aware that is an option. Uh, speaking of green kind of interaction too, Counter Synergy is Hunt for the Week is back in this one too, baby. Yes, yes, exactly. Hunt the Week. And again, that plus one, plus one counter is just so well supported in this format. So yeah, Hunt the Week, three and a green sorcery, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control, and then it fights target creature you don't control. Just another really, really solid card in the format. You'll you'll pick and play definitely the first copy, usually the second copy. Very, very strong card. All right, my friend, Uh, you know, there's a lot more we could talk about this set because it truly is so deep, but, you know, we're pushing two hours here, and I think that's probably about where we should should call it. I want to thank you, Corey, for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you as always, finding another mage who loves and revels in this format as much as I do. So, Corey, before we head out of here, just let us know where can people find you and your content on the internet? And it's been an absolute joy uh, to dig into Kaladesh again and be able to come on this podcast and have a passionate discussion. It's such a great format. Y'all are going to love it. Dig in if you've never touched Kaladesh card before. This is certainly going to be a great branch between uh, Zendikar Rising and Kaldheim in about 17.5 months. But in any case, uh, you can... you can find me on Twitter, Draft and Draft Corey, Instagram, my full name, Corey Demone Enriquez, or patreon.com backslash draft and draft. If you're in your podcast app, uh, just type in uh, Believe, B L E A V, in Magic the Gathering, and you'll see it pop up. It's like a, a 10 sided die with a, a weird, wacky graphic. Uh, I'm actually, I do work with a company out in California. They make the graphic. It looks kind of weird and cheesy, but that's kind of our show. We're weird, cheesy, we have fun, and it's a good way to pass those midday hours away so if you get a chance check us out find me on socials and i'd love to have you join the unlucky lounge community become an unlucky lounge rat friends love it love it my friend uh you can find the arena craft podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts we are also on spotify we are on youtube we have a thriving youtube community with 
many, many commenting people every week. So if, you, uh, if you're listening to this episode and you're like, no, Arjuna, you're wrong. You're an idiot, <laughs> which actually happened to me the other week. Then uh, mm. go ahead and post all of those comments on YouTube. It's a really great place to get heard. We also have a Discord community if you want to really go to the horse's mouth and, and give it to me directly. And then, of course, Covert Go Blue, while he's not with us this week, is a regular member of the show. You can find his content on YouTube. Just search for Covert Go Blue. And he also streams Monday through Thursday on Twitch from 4 p.m. Eastern. That's going to do it for this week. We will catch you next week. And have a good one, Corey. You too. Thanks for having me on. Beep.